This is the Epilog audio experience. Mythology is fascinating. It's been the source for many of our stories, teachings, doings and beings for years together. Aur kyunki mythology ne Indian culture aur society ko kafi had tak shape kiya hai, ye kehna shayad galat na ho that a large part of our management practices and ways of leadership have been influenced by mythology in a direct or an indirect way. Welcome to Voice of Achievers with me, Yashika, as we sit down to understand the influence of mythology on our lives as professionals, entrepreneurs, managers, leaders and people. It gives me immense pleasure to welcome our guest and woman of substance, Koral Das Gupta, a compulsive storyteller, a podcaster, and literary patron. She writes academic non-fictions and relationship dramas, exploring the inherent nature of complex minds with relatable conflicts and interesting characters. Koral has published five books, including the recent Ahalya, the first of the five-part Sati series published by Pan Macmillan. Her other books include Rasiya, Dance of Desire, Summer Holidays, and The Power of a Common Man, Connecting with Consumers, The Shah Rukh Khan Way. She's the founder of TellMeYourStory.biz, a story laboratory led by crowdsourced narratives and consults with educational and corporate bodies on content and communication projects. Coral is recognized in the list of Innovator 25 Asia-Pacific 2019 prepared by the Holmes Report, a New York-based PR agency. Now, she's known for her great sense of humor, but when she's tired or sad or angry, we hear that she paints. Welcome to the show, Coral. Thank you. Thank you so much, Veshika. There is so much influence of mythology in the kind of work that you've been doing, including some of the paintings that I noticed as well. What are the observations and the parallels that you may be able to draw between work life or corporates and with mythology? Oh, yes, totally. Mythology is full of uh, kings and queens and the peasants and the tribals and uh, wars all of which are actually complete corporate uh, moments, you know. Of course, you find the politics of mythology in the politics of an era, but you also find that not necessarily in the politics, but in the leadership of corporate organization or any kind of leadership for that matter. And mythology is one such vast arena which uh, connects with every kind of situation that it exists, it is timeless, it exists, it's applicable uh, across time and beyond uh, geography. So uh, there's a lot of relevance. Is, are there some, some striking observations that you may have had, particularly when you're dealing with uh, corporates or maybe references that you end up making? I haven't thought of, about it in that way. But you know, when you look around, if you look at any industry, it could be the film industry, it could be the publishing industry, it could be any corporate, you will find one Karna, one Arjun, one Bhishma, uh, one Draupadi. I mean, if you look at the basic definitions of these characters, one person who made a vow and uh, that changed everything, one person's one act, 
made a huge difference in the times to come though he hadn't looked at that woe from that angle he had just made that woe or he had just taken that step if you look put that in the corporate space someone has taken a step with the right intention but what happened thereafter is not totally positive it is a mix of complete devastation and uh, complete surrealism that's bhishma or a person who believes that he didn't get his due he uh, deserved better but he was disowned you find that karna pretty much uh, what mo- uh, what a lot of people may have felt uh, or do feel when promotions happen yeah you know uh, karna is a very interesting character because uh, when i look at this character i know he is empathized sympathized immensely by uh, all kinds of readers but when i look at this character he was disowned by his mother but adopted by uh, a charitable family and they brought him up as his own son he was protected by surya all through and at a time when he uh, picked up his biggest uh, one person as his biggest competitor that was when uh, he didn't have to cut off his thumb like ekalavya though he was extremely talented uh, he had got the best of teacher parshuram and then at a time when he was uh, complaining that he didn't get his due that was the time when he was given uh, a kingdom to rule as the king though he was a charitable son so where on earth is the uh, where on earth is karna a sufferer he has gained a lot of things arjun i see as a bigger sufferer because all his life he had been either exiled or he had been moving or he there he has faced attempts to be killed he has uh, been living with the complicated relationship of his uh, of a dual fatherhood and a mother who was uh, completely divided into the politics of a dynasty arjun is a bigger sufferer but then just because uh, kunti had disowned karna karna is looked at with greater sympathy so i find uh, i in corporate life i find lots of karna who are you know the natural attention seekers who keep crying that mera sath galat hua hai <laughs> and people believe them <laughs> and the best thing is that people believe them i want to talk about your initial brush with uh, mythology the subject is extremely fascinating and yet there are enormous interpretations reinterpretations misinterpretations what was your initial pull towards the subject like and uh, tell us what it takes to deeply get involved in the subject and understand it more rationally than subjectively if that is a possibility also i have always been uh... drawn towards mythology i don't exactly know the reason but i have always been drawn because uh, in my house i had uh, the translations uh, big fat translations of ramayana and mahabharata and most of my summer holidays and winter holidays started with reading those first and then moving into other books that i hadn't read i just read them again and again and i loved those stories and every time i read i found something new that didn't strike me before but when i read it again it does so if you are interested in mythological characters that is what happens to you actually any book any book that you love you read it again and again and you find a new meaning again and again and uh, as i grew up at every moment the politics of this country is changing people are changing and i would often hear people talking about mythology from uh, 
aspects that are really stupid because i could see that they haven't read it properly they, so the interpretation is not there the deeper thinking is not there people are just superficially talking about mythology one of the references was talking about krishna as a propagator of me too i mean those hurt i find it as a complete loss of time loss of energy so uh, i got into the more uh, creative and productive way of protesting probably which is my own right because because uh, you bring an interesting point up and do we then need to to develop a certain sensibility to understand or to interpret uh, mythology better and if yes then what do we really need to do to interpret this uh, better as growing professionals you know i think that uh, you don't have to make an extra effort to do that if you are honest with yourself as a human being uh, your work shows that honesty your intentions show that honesty there is uh, there is uh, propagandist work and there is artistic work right so uh, when i am delved into art i am not thinking about uh, how my art will impact or what kind of impact do i want what is my personal politics i am not thinking about that whatever is uh, me as a person or whatever i believe in comes very naturally in the work that i do uh, in the kind of art that i create if i am a propagandist uh, person then that is not art by any uh, stretch of imagination that is just propaganda and i do believe that if you are an artist your art cannot be meant to hurt others art can be the story of your own hurt or the story of your own uh, joy it can never be if if it is meant to hurt others it is a propaganda it is not art so you can actually when it comes to the interpretation of mythology you get to see a lot of issues in it you get to see a lot of meaning in it when you read it with the mind where you are open towards understanding what the ancient texts have said and you are not from coming from the frame of mind where you want to see what are the opportunities which can distort so the way you look at it mythology presents itself before you in uh, from that context you know which which brings me to the perception uh, part of it and some stereotypes as well interestingly i was talking to this uh, woman in a leadership position a sportswoman an athlete and uh, she told me that as a part of their their process she needs to to uh, the process of team building they need to go to families of different socio economic backgrounds and convince uh, them for the women to come and play the sport it was she says that it's very challenging to explain that a woman needs to play a sport because of the perception that we tend to uphold that um, women are restricted to certain kinds of roles like a teacher or a painter or that versus being a sports person so i want to talk to you about perception and stereotype and uh, would you be able to throw a light whether this has something to do with or is it deep rooted in our culture or in our text or in the mythological stories that we've read no because mythology has uh, shown women from different contexts so on one hand you have sita who is very devoted to her husband on the other hand you have kunti who was uh, brave enough to voice how voice out 
or if you look at kunti you will find that she she is a very ambitious mother today when a lot of let me just divert and tell you this that today the mythological writing rewriting that is happening from the feminist context is actually my understanding is that that a lot of people mostly women who are writing mythology from a feminist context are actually trying to redefine the role of mother mata uh, we are trying to look at these uh, women not just from the perspective of the crying sacrificing pleading women who have got into motherhood but more as motherhood uh, which inspires the future and uh, creates role models for the future right kunti was that kind of a mother her interest in indra the way i see it or the way i interpret it is that she wanted a son from indra who would be able to rule the three three uh, heavens you know the heaven uh, earth and underworld so she wanted the best archer she wanted someone from indra who would have kingly qualities from that perspective there are many more so draupadi was fi- a very fiery woman mm. and then you have women like chitrangada who is a warrior woman woman from manipur or menka for for example menka she was an apsara she uh, or uh, menka urvashi who were the women courtesans who would go uh, by the advice of indra and uh, seduce or get seduced mythology as a whole has shown women from different roles they have not just shown women as a typical homemaker they have not shown the women as typical mothers they have shown women from a very uh, from different contexts from very brave contexts to very uh, very down to earth concepts so even when there is a sita who is observing the orders of rama and uh, trying to make sense of her uh, role as a wife we also see a sita who refused to be uh, you know uh, to give in to rama's rama's whims if i may say so again and again and ask for dharti or earth to take her back in you see women in sita the way i see it that sita had patience for the first time when she was asked for the agni pariksha she went through it because she knew that rama had uh, rama was a king first he had certain um, responsibilities as a social leader and his responsibilities uh, as a husband who is which is more personal to her came later so she gave in to it having said that when something becomes uh, you know when something gets repetitive and it becomes a ritual i see it that that is probably a ritual that sita wanted to break she understood that why rama was doing that she understood why rama had done that there was no misunderstanding that i see between rama and sita but sita's not giving in to the agni parisha for the second time was probably because she wanted to stop society from taking that agni pariksha as a ritual first time she went for it for rama second time she stopped that is that is she is so she is a homemaker right she is a wife but where does that kind of bravery come from where does that kind of mental stability come from that's something that mythology had offered us to think we didn't and this uh, this makes me think of a of an example which was actually doing the rounds very recently and i bring 
the news of Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of uh, New Zealand. And uh, this news was doing the rounds especially because of the coexistence of sensitivity along with uh, power or strength along with uh, sensitivity or empathy. Uh, I'd like to talk about uh, the coexistence of these characteristics. So can strength and sensitivity and boldness, all of these coexist? Uh, you know, there are two ways of looking at it. The first is the fact that women, uh, as much as we, uh, I, I mean, today, uh, uh, the, the way feminist movements have shaped up, I see that as a desperation to compete with, with men and, uh, uh, you know, uh, take up things that men had been traditionally doing and say that I can do as well. That's stupidity, uh, according to me because uh, women uh, anatomically, uh, attitudinally, philosophically, women are a different construct than men. Their strengths are very different. Their weaknesses are very different. And it would have been better, I feel, if we understood each other's strengths and weaknesses and supported and played by that, the result would have been far more uh, win-win for the society as a whole. But we didn't want to do that. Rather, we thought that uh, I am no less than a man. And the man thought that we, I have to tame the woman and everything went haywire. That is one aspect of it. Second is, mythology talks about the construct of Purusha and Prakriti. Purusha is the masculine force, which is aggressive and short-lived. And Prakriti is the natural force, which is uh, more permanent and tender. Uh, now, uh, Hindu philosophy has always considered Prakriti or nature as more powerful than mankind. And they have worshipped various uh, forms of uh, nature as gods. Right. So that is where the uh, Prakriti and Purusha thing comes. Prakriti is nature. Purusha is mankind. When it comes to mankind, it includes womankind as well. Mankind as a whole, irrespective of gender. Now, this particular thing, the aspect of Purusha and Prakriti, we have messed up big time. And we thought that this philosophical construct is actually a gender construct. So we mistook Purusha and Prakriti as masculinity and femininity, which means masculinity is natural. And you have to show off your biceps. And femininity is uh, the tenderness which should make you cry in isolation. So literature, cinema, culture, art has seen women crying in silence, conservative about their voice and expression, while men have been more upfront, more available, more uh, expressive. And that also shows, for a very long time, we have believed that there is one kind of definition for masculine maturism and feminine conservatism. But uh, now if you look at it, you will figure that it is a completely attitudinal and philosophical character because there are many men who have very strong feminine characters. And there are many females who have very strong masculine characters. This is a completely attitudinal construct. Shahrukh Khan, for example, he has a lot of feminine constructs. Uh, Kangana Ranawat or Swarabhaskar, for example, they have a lot of masculine constructs. 
we have actually messed it up by thinking that it is a gender construct and looking at life and people and society from that angle how differently should we look at politics or feminism today like aaj ke youth ko kya aisi cheeze hain jo dhyan rakhni chahiye with respect to approaching or looking at feminism what are some of the things that we need to be mindful of as professionals when we're talking about feminism so you know language comes from something that is in your mind right so uh, language has been shaped up across years depending upon uh, how you have perceived it and every era has its own politics right so the mythological stories have passed through different eras of patriarchal politics so there are stories when you hear the stories you actually consume them from the perspective that you have been told and uh, you cannot blame them because such was the patriarchy of those times your grandmother may have told or your grandfather may have told but then they were all were the products of the uh, patriarchal politics of that era so they will tell you the stories from that perspective but today when you stand and when you look back at these stories and when you look back very neutrally instead of being fed or instead of trying to find out uh, the kind of things that your politics should be fed with that is when you see a lot of things that brings up a completely different interpretation a completely different school of thought jiske bare mein hame kabhi nahi bola gaya jiske bare mein humne kabhi baat nahi kiya i'm actually going to interrupt you here because um, when we when you say purusha or when you say prakriti and when we are talking about prakriti in hindi jab hum bolte hain ki prakriti uh, aisi thi we already give it our gender construct yeah. of being female so maybe that I'm guessing could have been a reason for this mess up. We have to be very, very careful about what we are saying and what we are doing. थोड़ा सोचना चाहिए, because you know it is so deeply embedded in our system that uh, one birth is probably too small to let go or you know uh, to disown centuries of things that have sat into our brain as culture. A little consciousness helps, I believe. for example you know i will give you a small example from my own life uh, i have a 8 year old and uske school mein vaccination tha kisi cheez ka i had told him that you know that they will bring a syringe and uh, they will prick you with that but always understand that wo dekhne mein bada darawni hai lagti nahi hai utni wo dekhne mein bada darawni hai so if you can just you know recover from the fear so it will not hurt you it is not something that hurts it is just fear inducing so don't get afraid so he went to school and then when he came back i asked him that uh, did you cry so he said no i didn't the boys were brave but the girls were not they were crying so i just simply asked him that why didn't you cry so he said because you told me that everything i mean you told me that not to be scared so i said you know i am a girl Uh, being a so a girl had actually told you that uh, not to be afraid so it is not that people who cry they're not brave brave are actually those who help people to recover from the fear, uh, fear or when they know that someone is not in their best mental space if you help that is bravery crying doesn't make someone a coward this is just one example Uh, which you have to be very very careful about 
in picking up. Uh, having said that, you know, uh, at times when I talk to my mother, once my mother told me that, you know, in different moments of talking with you, I felt that uh, your thoughts are so much tied to another century backward. And I was like, what are you saying? Are you serious? And she said, yes, I felt that. I mean, but those, I think they are a part of our uh, deep rooted culture. So I don't, I didn't point it out. So, you know, that's what I'm saying that though I am very conscious, I am very careful, there will be things that I'll miss out simply because it is a culture embedded in behind in centuries. And we must take it very positively when someone points it out at us. If we can do that to each other, we will be ampadimirande. That's, that's a very interesting takeaway that uh, we need to be open to people pointing out because I think that we live in times where uh, you just might end up making a mistake by mistake and uh, there may be someone pointing it out and you just need to be okay and embrace it. Exactly. We don't always mean things. But then, you know, uh, in my child's school, one day uh, there was uh, in between his virtual class, the teacher asked uh, the child that uh, how many of you are helping at home? So everybody said, my child also said, and towards the end, the teacher just said that I'm so happy that you are doing these things to help your mother. So the entire exercise was about the child trying to help at home and now, this is not something that the teacher had consciously said to, you know, from that perspective. It is something she probably didn't understand herself that she had said something which is completely contrary to the reason why she had picked up this topic. Right, right. Absolutely. Does that, all, uh, that brings me to, uh, to another, yet another aspect of uh, women. Can women uplift other women or support other women? Are there some mythological stories uh, around it very much there and always there women definitely can support other women but it depends upon you know i don't believe uh, that women are women's worst enemies what happens is each and every person i mean that is a myth which people love to talk about and joke about but what happens is different people from different generations have different ways of looking at things and have different sense they are sensitive to different aspects of living i mean look at yourself and your mother there must be things that uh, you guys uh, disagree to i have there are so many things and i know that i will never be able to convince her about the things that i do or i believe in because she is looking at that entire thing from a completely different way she is looking at it as things that women should do because uh, it is the women's job. I try to explain to her that there's nothing called a women's job. Cooking is not a woman's job. Then she says that, uh, you, you know, uh, forget the women part, but you do it better than the others, right? Yes, I do it better than the others, but then that is because uh, others have never tried to take that initiative. Ghar ka kaam ghar mein ka hai, ghar ki aurat ka nahi hai. Having said that, different people grow up under different obligations, under different temperament. They are, they are brought up under different conditions, different upbringings. So they look at life from that perspective. It is not necessarily that women are trying to be women's enemies. It is just that they are trying to 
enforce and reinforce what they believe is the best for a family because hormonally we come from uh, we have that instinct to plan things for the home and and we can love better that is hormonal it's not something that we want to do but we can love better than men so uh, our way of looking at the, we are possessive about home i mean you know in the lockdown uh, it uh, so happened that uh, when i started doing a lot of work at home i did it better why because it's instinctive it's hormonal that you have a basic tendency to love your home and love those people who are at home given that when two women are in the same space with the love for the same space with the love for the same people they have their own ways of loving they have their own ways of believing what is the best for the family what is the best for uh, that particular unit and uh, they try to reinforce that thinking that this would be the best solution for the given set of problems it's not that men are not possessive you find men to be equally possessive from different ends but men are not spoken about from that aspect especially the domestic aspect men are not spoken about from the domestic aspect but trust me it's not any different from men for men and women yes given the anatomic differences that we have women are more shrill or their expressions are different from men so probably they get more hurt a little more or what if there were what if there were two women in leadership positions and i'm asking this from the context of so many working professionals having bosses who are women or colleagues who are women competing or vying for the same uh, space you know how does what deal with those dynamics any uh, thoughts that you would like to share when there are women bosses that is where again the same thing plays out that uh, you know women are anytime battling uh, forced uh, multitasking they have to they don't have an option so given that how much do you think their brain have the capacity to take probably the kind of context that you have brought up the kind of situation that you were talking about that probably finds uh, women looking at things from a less uh, flexible point of view where they try to uh, bring in their experience and tell people to do something because that will make their work easier if you look at the way uh, we mothers do it to our children and i let me tell you that i believe motherhood is the biggest leadership role in the world so if you look at the way uh, we mothers bring up our children at times we tell our child that there is no question i you do it just because i have told you to do it right it's oh, it's common every mother has told the child why do you think they do that because they're exhausted from answering questions they're exhausted from thinking more they just want to buy themselves a little bit of comfort of being followed without being questioned or that they want to save the effort of overthinking and that is where it comes from where women bosses might at times sound a little irrationally dominating but it is i don't believe that uh, i mean of course there are exceptions but that domination itself comes from the fact that uh, there is that forced multitasking playing on their heads what about decision making then looking in the with respect to the way uh, women versus men make decisions uh 
it depends upon person to person it's completely there is not a one size fits all answer to this question but women's decision making is always more inclusive uh, often i mean 90% uh, of the cases women's decision making is more inclusive than men's because again we are the kind of people who feel sad when someone doesn't have their due in any any small or big way in any uh, unintentional way it is like at home if you have cooked something and someone didn't get uh, someone had the food the last and so uske liye bahut hi zyada kam bacha hai so the woman of the house feels very bad and most of the times she doesn't have her own share she gives it away the same thing happens uh, in the in any kind of leadership area where women are more inclusive in their decisions they try to make people happy they try to give people their due they try to be more compassionate they try to be uh, more uh, helpful and that is not just because they want to be remembered as a great uh, leadership figure who is very giving and uh, all that but they believe in being fair because they themselves know the they are the worst victims of all kind of unfair decision making at home and at the office so uh, some actually get very uh, you know bitter because of that effect and some are extremely inclusive and very very flexible in the way they think they try to make space for everybody else that would follow for post their reign i you brought up something very interesting while we were talking and you shared your you shared an incident with your uh, mother saying ki you know wo, wo, there is a, a point of disagreement jahan mother bolti hai ki you know these are things that you should do versus how you feel about it and there will be so many young women in professions leadership positions students who are you know maybe coming up as leaders at the workplace who will be facing this challenge even at home like as simple as that with your mother how does one deal with that effectively uh, coral because this is something that you you also rightly very rightly said that ye hum ek raat mein ya 24 hours mein nahi kar sakte it will take centuries and years together to actually bring about a certain change but how does one deal with that and move on uh, you know uh, there are two answers to this one is conversation the other is action conversation jahan pe you have a scope to converse communicate you do that and make your prominence felt in the best possible way but there are uh, moments when uh, that is not the best thing to do uh, so there are moments when i know that it is futile uh, trying to explain certain things to and yesterday so to someone from the yesterday generation because that person is not even thinking about what you were trying to say that person is just trying to shut you off that is where i believe that there is no point wasting energy in that that is where your actions take over and uh, nobody can stop you from acting right so the kind of things that i do uh, the way i portray myself as a human being as a mother as a wife as a working professional i think those itself make statements constantly in uh, the in, in not only the outer world but also you know very magically into your inner world because the decisions that you take are actually uh, communicating to you what you want and what you stand for and what is it that you will never take 
And that is where it is extremely important for women not to give in to anything for which they don't get a yes from their brain. Because the moment you, your brain says no and you still go ahead and do it and you make a compromise, which is a, a a, the kind of compromise that, leave, that impacts your mental space with unhappiness, that is where you have told yourself that uh, your ideas, your feelings, your decisions doesn't hold what holds is someone else's over you. So more important than convincing the outer world is the inner world. And if you, if that, if your inner world and you are in sync, the kind of confidence that you will have, the kind of uh, statements that you will make, or the way the world will look at you, will itself communicate uh, what you stand for. And you don't have to make that effort. Talking of communication, tell us, uh, and you've been uh, in this content and communication world for a really long time. Tell us the importance and the relevance of communication for uh, the upcoming professionals and what they can do to hone this. I think uh, one part of communication is language and the other part of communication is talking exactly what they want to talk about, not end up saying something that they don't mean. Uh, so the language part obviously will come with practice and uh, the expression part is probably something that needs a lot of mental tuning and uh, what helps there is a lot of self-thought. I mean, when you are sitting uh, idly, you must constantly talk to yourself and uh, in that conversation with self, I mean, something that I always tell the world that don't waste the time when you are talking to yourself because what happens is the time when we uh, when we are uh, talking to ourselves we often end up you know uh, when we are talking to ourselves we often end up in our brain bickering about people that made us unhappy they don't even get to know that we are unhappy about something that they have done but in our mind we are fighting with them that is something that we have one voice that we have to completely curb because it doesn't add positively to our personality. Rather use that time when you are talking to yourself, use that time to think about the different things that your mind is telling you or you are telling the mind because that conversation will actually shape the kind of expression that you would want to bring to your communication because that will actually enable that you are saying what you want to say and there are less lips. Any suggestions with respect to writing? Because you've been uh, like a published writer and for anyone who is looking at being a published writer who... I always tell people that writing is one skill that of course comes with uh, ABC uh, you know, knowledge of uh, language and uh, putting the words together in a particular way but uh, the content is something that comes through observation. So talk less and observe more. When you do that, uh, you get to see a lot of things around you that will constantly feed into your mind as stories and they will come out when they have to. Because uh, the fact that uh, the birds are singing outside your balcony is not something that you get to hear when you are talking to someone sitting in your drawing room. So if you can get yourself, give yourself some time simply observing people around or not even people, anything that is available, you observe and you see a lot of things that you wouldn't have given much importance to had you not 
just shut down and uh, uh, indulged in. So that is a very big, you know, homework towards any kind of writing. What about uh, are there are there one or two subjects that you'd like to uh, see young writers write about, or that will, uh, according to you, be relevant in the times that we are living in, or the times that we are going to experience? Uh, I don't have a genre in mind, but I uh, do think that young writers, uh, I see a lot of young writers, I work with a lot of young writers, and I see in them tendency to emulate uh, successful authors. And uh, that is something that I very strongly would say that don't do that, get inspired, no doubt about it, get inspired, but don't try to uh, write like so-and-so, because that is your way of completely killing your voice. And if I, as a independent individual personality, can read and see that person's influence in your writing, a publication house will see it even better because they, have, they are dealing with writers and manuscripts day in and day out. Your voice will never reach anywhere if you are trying to write like someone. Write about, first develop your own voice, figure out what is it that impacts most to you or touches you the most and you know uh, pursue it with passion and secondly try to pick up topics that are either very different or they are touching so i think that uh, if i may put it this way that i think there are three kinds of authors that do really well uh, one is uh, like amitav ghosh whatever he writes will always be read the other is like uh, Arundhati Roy. She will be heard extensively. And the third category is uh, Ruskin Bond. He's loved so much that whatever he writes reaches out. So nothing wrong with either. Just figure out which category you fall on and take that route, stay, put over there. If you feel like changing the track, change, but change with all of yourself. Don't put one feet here and the other feet there. You will not be anywhere. Any one single disappointment or takeaway that you have had in uh, so many years of experience that you've had? Ki, you know, ye seekha, ki ye yaad rakhna. There are many as a, uh, I mean, in the content space, in content creation space, there are many such moments, there are many such learning that I have been constantly having. And uh, probably one of them or the most important of them is uh, when you are completely committed to a particular kind of writing and uh, when you are uh, and you, when you when you have actually invested yourself in that particular genre or that particular content it talks the most you know you don't have to convince anyone people naturally get convinced because you are the confidence shows in you and the uh, the kind of research that you have done or the kind of uh, investment that you have done as a person or as a professional uh, is, is very radically visible. So uh, when I did the five book series, a lot of people asked me about that, that how did I crack a five book series? You know, I had written a one, one line pitch, seriously, a one sentence pitch to Pam Macmillan and it just got taken. And it is not that I am such a big, such a beautiful or such a great writer that I am capable of convincing with one sentence. 
it was just that the idea that I had was uh, probably very hard hitting, which made sense. And that told me that I don't probably have to uh, show them what a beautiful garden house I have in Panjgani. I just have to tell them that I live in Mumbai and uh, this is what my house uh, contains. And uh, the right person will enter that house because he is interested in that house. Very nice. What does achievement mean to you? It's a difficult word. Achievement, personally, I think, uh, I will tell you the, my personal definition of achievement. Professionally, nobody knows what is achievement because we, are, we, are, we never feel that we have achieved. But personally, I think achievement is, uh, there are a lot of beautiful things and there are a lot of terrible things that we learn as we grow up. Our parents, our teachers, our friends are constantly feeding into us different kinds of uh, virtues and vices. So uh, achievement for me is uh, not to unlearn those good things that we have learned while growing up just because they are not valued. They seem uh, to be not uh, as valuable to the society anymore. If I am able to not give up the good things that I have just because today's the social media led society is talking in a different language, I will consider it my achievement. Interesting. Thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts. Thank you for the stories and thank you for all the amazing characters. May you keep writing and may you keep shining the way you already do. So thanks for being on the show, Kaurat. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure, Yashika. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to share your thoughts and feedback in the comment section. Do rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. Subscribe or hit follow Voice of Achievers on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana or wherever you get your podcasts from. Send us an email on editor at voiceofachievers.com or find us on voiceofachievers.com to share guest suggestions or topics that you'd like us to cover. Don't forget to tune in next week again. Voice of Achievers on EP Log Media.